and welcome to Stuart Greaves, the Real Wealth Podcast channel. This is Glenn Triller, your financial advisor. Financial planning is not boring. It can be exciting and fun and we make sure to bring that energy into the equation one podcast at a time. To get updates on our latest podcast episodes, hit the follow button on our SoundCloud or Apple podcasts. And today we have Nick Stewart, our CEO and also an advisor. Thanks. Great to join you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, Nick, you penned an article in Hawke's Bay today um, over the weekend called Diversification, a Great Luxury. And we're just here today, um, just to get you to expand on um, and what you shared with um, the readers on Hawke's Bay today over the weekend. Um, sort of what it means to investors and also you you talked a lot about farming and, um, and the agricultural yes. um, community in New Zealand and their diversification and you know the experiences and concerns and troubles that they have and well look you know um, at the moment that the temperature outside I think it's going to get th- to 32 degrees today uh, I think I had a look at the forecast for next Monday, Tuesday is 35 to 37. So it's like... Summer is here. Yeah, it sure is. And no rain and very, very dry. So, you know, I wanted to kind of talk about that because of, uh, for the farming sector, uh, because, you know, Hawke's Bay, you know, um, you know, great things grow here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it be viticulture, horticulture, uh, or agriculture, you know, it relies on um, a singular revenue stream based on a singular commodity. So, for example, you know, someone has a sheep farm, or a beef farm, or they have a maize crop, or they're an orchardist with apples, or they're a wine grower. So most people don't have a diversified income stream, mm. being you know various commodities, various properties across, say, the Waikato, Southland, and Hawke's Bay. Mm-hmm. Most people have, you know, most people in that particular sector have just one thing, and they don't get the benefits of diversification that uh, our investors do. Yeah, sure. And, and I guess um, when I reflect um, last year um, in the news, um, we had a weather event, of course, uh, in the winter. You'll remember when we had the hailstorm. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And, of course, that uh, damaged um, you know, a lot of the um, pub fruit and grapes and, and the like. Um, and then, of course, now with the um, soaring temperatures and it's a pretty long, hot summer, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess there's many people in the agriculture community which, uh, which are struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was looking at the I saw a headline come up uh, last week on the NBR just mm. in terms of Convita, the uh, Manuka mm. honey sure. manufacturer. Now, you know, that is New Zealand's number one brand in terms of Manuka honey. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one would think that that particular sector exposed to Manuka when it's booming that you would have been rewarded in your wallet in terms of uh, stock price appreciation. But in mm. fact, over a five year period, the price looks like a bell-shaped curve. So it started at about two dollars seventy, mm-hmm. went up to nine dollars, and it's now back to two dollars seventy. That's pretty volatile. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> very volatile. It, it is, and and look, it comes down to the fact that you know, it's a single crop. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, you are reliant on the humble bee, and that uh, the bee's production. And I know, as um, you know, as an apiarist, as a as a, a hive owner. I know that if we have a poor season, that mm. the bees don't perform very well either. And Convita is, aside from having some corporate issues in mm. terms of its strategy, last year was very difficult because of, because of the weather, the bees just didn't perform. Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's the, the any exposure out there, and, and I reflect on, um, you know, the prices paid to farmers, um, uh, you know, by Fonterra, of yes. course, um, and, yep. and you, you re- reflect on um, and recall the milk, the solid milk prices um, in China, of course, yes. when uh, yep. there was troubles in Fonterra. Yes, 
Um, so I guess looking at it from our day-to-day investors, what can our day-to-day investors learn from farmers and, and what can they um, yeah. put in place to protect themselves? Uh, nice point. Well, certainly our our clients and clients that have um, wealth management portfolios mm. and are exposed to um, various markets, they could learn from farmers on taking a long view. Mm. I mean, people don't buy a farm to own for 18 months. Sure. Often it's an intergenerational play and people... You know, they just put their head down and work for decades with the expectation and the faith that they will be rewarded long term. Mm-hmm. Now, often that uh, faith, it, it, it doesn't pan out with great results. I mean, n- n- not, not every farmer is successful, but, but what it does mean is that they ride through, they ride through um, cycles. Mm-hmm. of droughts, um, of difficult times with commodity prices, difficult times, challenging times with the dollar. Whereas many investors, um, they because they uh, have the ability to liquidate and change their investments at a whim, many people don't have that same long-term vision that a farmer does. Would you sure. concur with that? Yeah, I, I certainly would do. Um, you know, I mean, we deal with um, a good number of farmers mm-hmm. and ex-farmers here at Stewart Group. Um, they are certainly, as a client of ours, they understand uh, volatility, mm. they understand risk, they understand that prices go up and down because they've lived it, they've breathed it, yes. most of their working lives, yes. of course. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess that many farmers would just love to have the diversification that a wealth management client has here. They probably look um, over the fence with envy, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, Glenn, I know you and I covered an earlier podcast. I mean, some of the returns uh, over the last year, it just shows you the benefit of diversification because not all markets are equal, are they? No, they're not. And, um, you know, we're coming off the back of last year, um, I think it's the best performing globally equity mm. market in the past seven or eight years mm. Um, mm. Uh, last year. And, you know, we, we look at New Zealand has returned, I think it's a 27, 28% uh, return on the share market. Australia is 20, so we've at least mm. bettered Australia in the, in, in the share pricing, um, you know, as opposed to the cricket over the, um, over the Christmas period. <laughs> um, but, you know, the uh, US was up 25%, and one of the best performing markets was Russia, of all places. Really? 40% return, 40.74% return last year. Wow. But of course, Russia, you've got another problem in Russia, you've got a liquidity problem. Because if you want to get your money back out, mm. that's where you can strike liquidity problems. But that's probably a, a topic for another podcast, so <laughs> to liquidity. Yeah, yeah that's, that's deep emerging markets. Mm, certainly is, <laughs> yeah. certainly is. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, the other thing that we, we find, um, you know, with diversification, um, here at Stuart Group, our average client has over 6,000 sec- um, securities. Know, investor globally but one of the mistakes that we see people make is they overweight into Australasia mm, mm. okay um, you know and we we often see people who come in and sit down with us and they're they may have 30 or 40 even 50 percent of their investable assets in Australasia mm. and I guess um, you'll have your own thoughts on this mm. um, there's home bias they they know who the warehouse group are they know who are about our health care mm. Yeah, there is. Yep. Um, And yet we make up, and I've seen your article here, um, the NZX makes up 0.01% of the world (laughs) share market (laughs) capitalisation. So we're tiny, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, and and our companies are often quite shallow in terms of 
their ability to get across various sectors. So in other words, um, you know, the companies are good, sound and structure, sound in their structure, but we don't have any uh, aerospace. Yep. We have no exposure to a healthcare and pharmaceutical. Sure. Um, there's just certain sectors that we can't get exposure to, and these are sectors that globally, long term, for a for a sound, stable portfolio, you would want some exposure to other sectors. Absolutely. And I guess if we look at the sectors that we do have exposure to, because um, they are prevalent in New Zealand, mm. would it be true to say in many cases that as a as a um, weight, um, those sectors are actually quite small when you comp comparable to the same sector as a weight and globally? Would yes. that be true to say? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That would be that would be correct. Um, it's it's interesting because you know when you look at the Australian market, let, let, let's ha- have a look at that one where I know that the the um, you know five pillars. the five pillars yep. that's it so so the five pillars there with the banks I'm referring to the average Australian investor who's investing in say the ASX 200 being the top Australian 200 companies that are listed mm. has a massive exposure to the Australian banking sector mm. um, it, and in fact their financials so to speak are absolutely huge in terms of their um, particular sector now that has actually been very, very difficult for Australian investors over the last year, possibly most likely due to the Royal Commission of Inquiry Inquiry. into Banking. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, there was one that just came out the other day where the Australian Transaction Reports Analysis Centre, called Austrac, just recently took Westpac to court, alleging that the bank contravened the anti-money laundering and terrorism rules on over 23 million occasions and failed to properly monitor and port transactions with known child exploitation risk. I mean, pretty nasty. So if you'd had a sizable portion of your Australian portfolio in Westpac, well, you found that the dividend's been cut mm. and the share price is now at a seven-year low and you're wondering, you know, is this plane just going to keep tanking or is it actually going to pull up? I mean, that's, that's the risk of, you know, an overexposure. And yet, Westpac, it's a blue chip company, isn't it? Aye, sure is. It's it's a blue chip company, it's a long history of success, high share prices, and yet, you would never imagine that it would be found wanting in the way that it did in regards to anti-money laundering. You're correct. They're one of the largest banks in Australasia. Yeah, and and, you know, AML, anti-money laundering, Mm. for anyone in financial services, the financial services sector, or who's recently bought or sold a home, Mm -hmm. uh, or opened a bank account, knows that AML for a bank is just bread and butter. I mean, that's just, it just should be second nature. So it, it certainly caught the market on the hop and unfortunately dragged down, um, dragged, or, you know, certainly drags down the index and anyone with a non-diversified portfolio would have suffered. Well, absolutely. And um, last year, of course, we had um, A2 Milk, one of our downers, of course, well, and um, yeah. their CEO resigned. And there was a, a dip in the share price because that came as a shock to people. Yeah, it did. Yeah, well, the there's been a couple of instances where the, there's been stock market vol- price volatility around their now former CEO. One was where she sold down some of her shares to That's pay right. a tax bill, yes, and that tanked the price. Yeah. Uh, and then there was another time where something came up with her. So yeah, she's she's moved on, and it's just um, yeah, it's certainly just taken the shine off that particular stock because the market like certainty. 
It does. And I guess it's never a good look when the CEO of the company is selling down company stock for, for <laughs> yeah. whatever reason yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a good look <laughs> yes um and and really i guess you know I, I bring that up because you know we look at diversification it's easy to chase last year's winners yes. it's easy to put your money into blue chip companies with a long um, history of success maybe into a company which is showing you know tremendous growth and and, and the likes of a2 milk certainly mm. has However, there are these things which are unexpected to the market, and as you've just mentioned, the market likes certainty. Yes. This was unexpected, and the share price um, you know, reflected that um, It does, that news. and very quickly. <laughs> and very quickly, and very quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. certainly spoke to some of our clients about this as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess, in, yeah, to summarise, Nick, um, yes. I mean, what can we learn from um, you know the, the agricultural community? You've spoken about mm. how farmers would love to diversify um, and, and probably look over the fence um, with envy at uh, people who can. What is the key takeout? And in summary, what can we learn from? Well, the, ta- the, 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 the key takeout is to take a long, long-term view as a farmer does. Mm-hmm. Um, diversify where possible. So that means diversify away risk. So in, in other words, if I, for my beehives, if I have bees located on multiple properties rather than, rather than one, I diversify my risk in terms of disease. Sure. Well, the farm is exactly the same in terms of where they may have their farm or farms located. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the other that they look at with, they, they're just prepared to roll through difficult times mm-hmm. and hang in there mm-hmm. because you know what? With, with bonds or shares or equities, it's at the time when it's the hardest, where you may be nursing a negative run. In other words, a negative number over that particular time period. In other words, you've made a paper loss. It is at that point mm. where the return expectation going forward is at its greatest. That's right. So, so you know, a lot of people, when people get into a stock or a market, that's done really, really well, the forward-looking expectation on return is low, is lower. Mm -hmm. But when the market has declined, hopefully, you know, if it's declined substantially, the forward-looking expectation is higher. Yeah, Yeah, and yet, in fact, um, the little quiz we had in the newsletter was, name the giant store whose customers scoff at whatever goes on sale but flock to buy whatever costs the most. And the hint was, <laughs> it's not the supermarket, no. <laughs> it's the share market. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen this before. I mean, um, uh, you know, if you have a bit of a downturn in global equity markets, we saw that in 2018, mm. um, you know, yep. certainly in the, um, the fourth quarter of 2018. But the rebound, for use of a better word, is often so much greater than what that small dip was. Because yes. 2019, as I mentioned previously, was the best performing year in global equity markets in the last seven or eight years. Yeah. So the yep. rebound is that much better. Mm. And, you know, just um, looking at this article, I'm just going to um, read out one of the last sentences in here. You say here that you know, there's a reason you diversify and there's nothing to do with how knowledgeable you are. Well, maybe it does. Knowledge you can't see the future. The small investor has an amazing luxury over the small farmer can only dream of. Investors should never take diversification for granted or claim that it's only for those who don't know what they're doing. Spot on. You know, a, a sage, wise investor mm. 
mm. will understand the things that they don't. And that is that they can't forecast stock prices and therefore diversification. Yeah. The only true free lunch of investment is there, it's apparent, and it's worth taking. Sage advice, no? Mm. Well, thank you for joining us. Absolute pleasure.